today we are continuing on in our study on truth. Speaking it, applying it, living it, and telling it. Speaking truth, applying truth, living it, and telling it. And one of the most important things, one of the, there's so many important things, but one important thing that I hope that you will take away from this is how powerful it is to speak truth and how destructive it is to speak lies and the effect that that's going to have on you, the people around you, how it's going to build things up or destroy them. It's very important to understand that. Now, as we journey together with the Lord in going forward, I think this is something that we need to think more and more about because um, today in the world we live in, I think we we interact in ways that we never have in the past with internet and all of that kind of stuff. And today we're talking about the application of truth, how we apply truth in our lives, apply truth in our speech, all of these different things. And sometimes it's easy, and you know, we all do this at times, and there's, it's, it's not all bad, but sometimes we quickly, we crack open the Bible, maybe looking for something quick, something to help us through the day. But there's a lot more to knowing, to applying truth than just you know, occasionally looking at our Bible. We need to dig in and learn and know what does the Bible actually say and know how to apply it carefully, carefully. And that, that takes some time. It takes some effort. It takes some work. And as I mentioned, in recent times, this is something that has become more and more complicated for us, something that I think we need to be more and more aware of because of Internet and social media and all of these different ways that we speak and communicate with people today. And for me, um, as you know, I do a podcast. I put sermons out online and all that stuff. But to me personally, I find putting things out online on the internet kind of like walking up to a group of people on the street, putting on a blindfold, plugging your ears, and telling them what you think about stuff. Because it's an interesting way of, of communicating because there's not a lot of back and forth. And sometimes when we communicate that way, maybe people will listen, maybe they won't. But nonetheless... People believe what they're going to believe. And one of the things that we tend to do, I tend to do, I know I do this, so I have to catch myself a lot, maybe we can't help but do it, is to seek out people like ourselves, which, again, is not a bad thing, but we seek out people who think like we do, who talk like we do, who believe the same things we do. And one of the struggles with that is that I find that we can find ourselves living in an echo chamber of positive feedback. We just hear ourselves what we keep telling other people, and we end up in a place of confirmation bias. And something we may not know, but probably should be aware of, is that the technology that we all use, you know, everybody's got a, a mobile phone these days and a smartphone, and we're on social media and those things all the time. But something we should be aware of is that technology actually reinforces that. It feeds our confirmation bias. And you know, if you have Netflix, there's a documentary on there called um, The Social Dilemma that talks about this. I watched it, oh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's interesting if you want to watch it. It's called The Social Dilemma. And there are several people on there who work for companies like Facebook and Google and these big search engines, and they explain how Media feeds us what we want to hear. It keeps feeding us what we think we already know. They show you more of what you've looked for in the past. And 
the reason that things are like, you know, do you know why things like search engines and social media are free is because you're the product. You are the product. If something's free, it's because you're the product. Everything we do on the internet is tracked. Um, that doesn't mean that these platforms pay much attention to who we are as individuals. I don't care what, you know, too much about knowing us personally, but they do track what we do. And then they use algorithms to feed us more of what we want to see, more of what we want to hear, more of what we've been searching for to keep us coming back so as to sell us targeted advertising. And if you Google something like climate change, for instance, you know, a very controversial topic, depending on who you're talking to, you can Google climate change is a hoax, you can Google climate change is a true. And what happens is those algorithms, they, they read what you've been searching for, and when you search again, they feed you more of what you like to hear, or maybe what you've been looking for in the past. And we end up in a place where we're in a bit of an echo chamber of confirmation bias. It's an easy place to end up, and that's used to sell targeted advertising. Like for instance, on our uh, Christmas Eve service, I always put out a Facebook ad, and I get to pick the kind of people who are gonna see that ad. You know, I don't see anything about them individually or know who they are personally, but I can pick age groups, I can pick interests, I can pick all of these things and target who sees that ad. Because all of our interests and things we like are being tracked, they're being watched to sell advertising. You know, I don't say that because I think it's a big conspiracy or anything like that, you know, no doubt that people might think that, but you know, don't jump on that bus, don't jump on the conspiracy bus and drive it downtown. That's a distraction. That's not where we're going. What I want to illustrate is that we feed ourselves an easy, sheltered narrative. And it's really easy for us to do that. We all, all do it at times. And we feed ourselves a comfortable narrative, a sheltered narrative that makes us feel comfortable. And our technology that we use reinforces that. And we get more and more of it. Whatever we look for, we get more of it. And the reason I bring that up is because it's an illustration that's going to bring to light the fact that this is something we all do. We all do. We all tend to gravitate towards narratives that make us comfortable, whether it be people or websites or things that we follow on the internet. We all like our own comfortable, familiar narrative, things that make us comfortable. We sound, surround ourselves with people and news sources and groups that think the same way we do. Again, not all bad. And we are very careful often, sometimes even unwittingly, to protect our own comfortable narrative. And we walk, as we walk this narrow path with Jesus together, remember that hearing something that challenges you could be a very good thing. It's good to be challenged. It's good to have our thoughts challenged. You know, iron sharpens iron. But when we are challenged, it makes us think about rightly applying truth in our own life. And also remember that hearing something that challenges you, okay, it doesn't mean that you have to change what you believe one bit. It doesn't mean that. But maybe sometimes we should. Maybe sometimes we should consider more the things that people say that we might disagree with. But one of the first things we can do on our journey with Jesus to apply truth in our own lives is step outside of our own comfortable narrative. Step outside of our own comfortable narrative. And sometimes when we talk about things like applying truth in our own life, we are afraid to step outside of that because we're, we, we fear that if we do so, things will change. Something might change. We might lose what we have or we might 
lose some friends. Or we might change our mind about something. We might change our mind about something. Sometimes maybe we should. That's, and that's a possibility to consider. And that happens in a few different places in the Bible. Narratives are changed. The way people think is, is different than the way they thought before. They step away from their own comfortable narrative. And when that happens in the Bible, when people truly understand what Jesus, who Jesus is and, and why he came and died on the cross, and they understand that truth about him, and they begin to apply that truth, they, they step outside of their own comfortable narrative, and they begin to follow Jesus in earnest. And when that happens in the Bible, that's when followers of Jesus go out into the world and they begin to turn things upside down. That's when they begin to have a real effect on the world around us. The apostles, after the resurrection, you know, they finally stood, understood, they, they got that Jesus hadn't come to be a political figure. He hadn't become to be king in that moment, but he had come to be savior of the world. In the book of Acts, and we're going to get into that in a few more weeks, a lot of people came to a new understanding, and everything changed. You know, people stepped away from their old, comfortable narrative, and they began to follow Jesus. And in the book of Acts, you see early in the book that the, these followers of Jesus, they're, they're worried about persecution. This Christianity is brand new. You know, Jesus has, has gone back to heaven. They have the Holy Spirit tell them, and they're thinking, you know, they pray, and the way they pray is really interesting because they say, God, you know, we know that you know our circumstances, you understand what's going on in the world, but please give us the courage to follow you regardless of our circumstances. One thing that I've been trying to do more of lately is to pray more for God's will and less about my circumstances. But when this happens, these early followers, they begin to move from their own comfortable narrative and they started to apply truth in their own lives. Paul on the road to Damascus is another example of someone who came to know truth and, and stepped away from what he knew and changed completely. You know, and he's a very dramatic example of that. But he applied to truth and everything changed. Everything he did changed. He was a different person. He did different things. Everything changed. He stepped away from where he was comfortable and was doing something completely different. And today we're going to take a little bit of time and talk about someone in the Bible who stepped outside of their own comfortable narrative. But this example, it's more quiet and it's less dramatic than the others I've mentioned, at least as we read it. But it's had a profound impact on the world. But nonetheless, this is someone who stepped outside of their own comfortable narrative and sought truth. And we're going to be reading from a very familiar chapter today, John chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 18. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. And this is what it says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, but you do not know these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we're, we're grateful for your word. We're thankful. And as we read it and look at it, I pray that we would hear what you have for us through it, that you would impress it upon us, that it would change who we are. We know it is powerful. We know that it is important that we learn it and we apply that truth to ourselves. And I pray that's what we would do today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Now Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader in Israel and he was raised and educated in a very ceremonial religious system. And he and his fellow Pharisees have uh, a, a legalistic system or belief. And what I mean when I say legalistic or legalism is an attempt to relate to God, a man's attempt or a woman's attempt, a person's attempt to relate to God based on moral and religious behavior. Um, legalism is a belief that God either accepts or rejects someone based on moral and religious performance. And personally, I also include in that that legalism includes thinking that, that God, someone says, you know, God loves me more because I perform, perform better morally or religiously than someone else. And that's the kind of religion that Nicodemus has grown up in. He's been around that his whole life. But he sees Jesus as Jesus travels and speaks and heals and, and teaches and does all these things. And he hears him and he sees him and what he does. And that causes Nicodemus to question. Causes him to question what he's been taught. Causes him to question what he believes. He even goes so far to step outside of his comfortable narrative in an attempt to learn and apply truth in his own life. And that's not easy. That's not an easy thing to do. It never is, not for anyone. We like to be comfortable. I know I like to be comfortable. My wife, Christine, is a... Um, has, has raised comfort to an art form. She's an expert at it. And Nicodemus is concerned about what his fellow Pharisees are going to think. And the, the, the Pharisees who are part of his comfortable narrative. So he goes to Jesus at night and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. 
we know that you're a teacher from God. For no one can do these, these signs that you do unless God is with him. He sees what Jesus does, and he says, nobody can do that unless God is with them. And when we read that, he says, we. It's obvious that Nicodemus is not alone in his thinking, but it seems that he was the only one that was willing to step away from that, step towards Jesus to seek to learn and apply that truth. And sometimes people choose comfort over investigating what's true. It's easier to, to, to balk at things or, or to just push them away than it is to say, well, maybe I should investigate this, even though it might be uncomfortable to do so. We often find that if you've, if you've shared the gospel with something. Sometimes it's very quickly rejected because it's, it's uncomfortable to think about. It's uncomfortable to think about. So sometimes people choose comfort over what's true. We like our comfort zone. And even when we are confronted by truth, sometimes we reject what's true because we don't want to upset our comfortable narrative. You know, sometimes we're afraid of what's going to happen. Sometimes we're afraid of what people might think of us if we step away from our comfort zone. And it doesn't matter if you're religious or not, legalistic or liberal. In, in my opinion, that's, that's true for everybody, whether a person is religious or not. We all like our comfort zone. As an example, there's an easy, comfortable narrative that Christians tend to fall into. And, and that is a narrative of morality or legalism as a means of relating to God rather than the gospel. It's easy to do that. We become so obsessed with behavior. We, we kind of follow into a, a, a comfortable narrative. And there are, are Christians who are, are quite happy to tell the world how to be moral, what you need to do, how you need to behave, but never mention how we can be made right with God through the blood of Jesus. Now, morality and legalism are a comfortable narrative for us. Now, why do we tend to fall into that? Why do you think we find comfort there? Well, I think, my opinion, is that morality is comfortable because it makes us feel like we have control. We have control. We make ourselves kind of our own little God. We set our, our, ourselves up as an idol, and we decide what's right. And through that narrative, we feel like we can control things, we can control, you know, the, the environment we live in, and we keep ourselves comfortable. And just so we don't leave anyone out, okay, when we talk about legalism, we often think of the kind of conservative side of legalism that gets into really uh, behavior-based morality, being right with God in that regard. But there's also a liberal side to legalism as well. There's also a liberal side to that. Uh, one side thinks, you know, I'm right with God because I'm moral and I tell people how they need to act to be right with God, which usually means you should act like me. And then there's also the liberal side of legalism that says, I'm right with God or God loves me more because God is, is all love and grace and I know you guys on the other side are wrong. And they're, they're both kind of like ceremonial washing in the Old Testament. We we uh, make, make ourselves clean with our behavior. They're both kind of the same thing, but we tend to pick on conservative legalism more than we do liberal legalism, but one's just uh, as much an issue as the other, and they're both ultimately useless, except for maybe causing division among believers. But the gospel is, is often uncomfortable to hear, and if we're, we're caught in a comfortable narrative of moralism and legalism, it's even uncomfortable to talk about. At least initially, when we're confronted with the truth and we hear we are only made right through 
the blood of Jesus. That, that's confronting. That's challenging. It takes away our control, and it requires us to turn everything over to Jesus and give him credit and give him glory. And we really don't like to give that up. We don't like to give up that control. We tend to fall into that comfortable narrative of moralism because with it, we think we can be in control. And we attempt to use it to create a comfortable and familiar surrounding for ourselves. And if you've read the Bible, okay, we all know that the world is, is winding down. And we, we know that's going to happen and things are going to come to an end. We don't know when, but, but it's going to happen. And when we use our speech to speak to the world in a way that says the way you make things right with God or is, is through your behavior, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. People balk at that. They push back at it. You know, if you watch the news, if you watch social media, if you watch YouTube, whatever, when we see a person present their own version of their comfortable moral narrative, whatever it is, whatever they believe that to be, and say, okay, this is going to fix everything if we do this, or this is going to make us right with God if we do this, a lot of people fiercely reject it. It's often fiercely rejected. And do you know why people so fiercely reject that legalistic morality narrative? Now, this is my opinion, but, and people can't even agree exactly on what that means, but when someone hears that the way you make yourself right with God is through moralism or you know, religious practice, they instinctively reject it because they know that's wrong. They know that's a lie. And that's part of the reason why so many people reject that narrative of, of moralism and legalism. They may not understand why, but deep down inside, they know that's not true. I think deep down inside, we know that we really can't be good enough to be right with God. Nicodemus, back to him, a very religious, very moral person, steps outside of his echo chamber of confirmation bias and goes to Jesus at night. He goes to Jesus at night because he was afraid of what his fellow Pharisees would think and do, which is understandable. We've probably all felt that at some point. You know, what are people going to think of me? You know, how is this going to go? But in doing so, when Nicodemus went to Jesus, we ended up, we gained one of the best known passages of Scripture in the Bible, John chapter 3. And one of the the, the most well-known verses that's been used to lead multitudes to Jesus, John 3.16. You'd probably be hard-pressed to find a Bible track that doesn't have that verse on it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And we see later in John chapter 7, we see Nicodemus defend Jesus. And, and the Pharisees, Pharisees criticized him for it. So, I mean, he did get some, some kickback from that. But it's easy for us to become comfortable, so comfortable in what we think, what we know, and being right that we sometimes stop evaluating what's actually true. And the truth we need to apply first is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter how good you try to be. You can work at it forever. You can try to follow all the commands you can find and you want and find in the Bible. Be as moral as you possibly can. Speak morally. Live morally. But without Jesus, without Savior, it, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. And that's not to say those things are not important. See, that would be liberal legalism. Living in obedience to Jesus is important. But doing things as an attempt to be right with God is moral legalism. And it ultimately leads to destruction because it's living a lie. If I believe that 
I can do the right things to make myself right with God. I'm, I'm living a lie. Ultimately, what I need to do is trust Jesus. And when someone is asked, how do you think you get to heaven? They inevitably answer, you have to be a good person. You have to be a good person. And that's probably because they've either heard or created a comfortable narrative of their own. And how do you apply a maybe not so comfortable narrative of gospel truth and live in obedience to Jesus? Now, as his follower, the gospel is the message he wants you and I to communicate to the world. Now, how do we do that? Because people still reject it. They're still going to reject it. For someone to realize they need a Savior, they first need to recognize why. And that sometimes requires talking about sin and bringing things up that are sinful. So how do we apply the truth of the gospel in our life and in the world around us as we interact with people? How do we step away from our own comfortable narrative and begin to effectively live in the world for Jesus? In the book of Matthew, Jesus commissions the 12 apostles, and he sends them out with a mission. And he gives them the power to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, all that stuff. And all of that is to bring attention to the message that they are to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he sends them out, he says, you know, some people won't receive the message. Some will, some won't. But he says, here's what you need to do if you're going to do this right, if you're going to do it well, if you're going to do this effectively. In verse 16, Matthew chapter 10, he says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. When Jesus sent the twelve out, he told them, I'm sending you out into the world, and you are going to be going out like sheep among wolves. Think about that for a moment. Sheep among wolves. What do wolves want to do with sheep? They want to kill them, and they want to eat them. That's what wolves do with sheep. A sheep is an easy meal. For a wolf, easy pickings. And a wolf has every physical advantage over a sheep. A wolf is faster, stronger, and more dangerous in every way than a sheep. And if you're a Christian, okay, you're not a wolf. You're not a lion. You're not a bear. You're a sheep. That's what Jesus says. You're going out as sheep among wolves. And the wolves want to kill and eat you. And Jesus tells his disciples, his apostles, he says, here's how you deal with that. Here's how you're going to survive in that kind of environment. Be as crafty as a snake, but as innocent as a dove. Crafty as a snake and innocent as a dove. We as sheep, we, you know, we, we lack any real power of our own, but Jesus, our shepherd, he is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is powerful. The word of God, the message of the gospel that we have been given to take into the world, it's also powerful. And in the right time and place, the Lord will give us what we need to accomplish what he has for us to do. So we live in a narrative where we are weak, but what we say can be very powerful. And we need to be wise and harmless at the same time. Wise and harmless at the same time. Sometimes, yes, the gospel is going to cause offense, but... Frankly, it's not usually the gospel that does that. Usually what causes problems is getting away from the gospel and giving things preeminence over that. Now, why do you think Jesus said what he did in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16? I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Be wise and harmless. It's for two reasons, I think. He wants everyone to hear the message of the gospel. And the second one is, is he doesn't want his sheep devoured by wolves. No shepherd does. What we're called to do for God can be risky. To do it well, Jesus says, be as crafty as a snake and innocent as a dove. 
And in doing so, we'll have the impact on the world that Jesus wants us to have. Now, let's talk a little bit about how we do that. I think it's interesting that Jesus says, be wise as a serpent or a snake. And it's pretty rare to hear someone speak about a snake in a positive way. That's unusual. Um, Snakes can be very dangerous. And we talked about the serpent in the garden last week. A snake is subtle and sneaky and aware and shrewd and and sometimes very dangerous. Doves, on the other hand, are, are about as harmless as can be. And frankly, they're not really known for their intelligence. There's not really much that a dove is dangerous about. There's not much dangerous about a dove. So Jesus is telling us, you know, we need that craftiness of the serpent, but we also need to be harmless as this dove. You know, there's sometimes, doves are sometimes used as a symbol of peace, whereas snakes are crafty and sneaky. But think about combining those good traits that Jesus is talking about in both of those, and what an effect that's going to have on us as we, you know, take the gospel into the world and do what Jesus has called us to do. Jesus is telling us, he says, be wise and be harmless. Be wise and be harmless. Don't be, don't be harmful and dangerous. Be wise and harmless. And Jesus is using this serpent to teach us a lesson. And don't think of the snake as evil. Of course, that's not what this means. Animals aren't evil. They don't sin. They just do what God put them here to do. And for a snake, being crafty and sneaky is a good thing. Jesus obviously isn't telling us to do something negative. He's not telling us to do something wrong. He wouldn't do that. At the core of what Jesus is saying is that for us to accomplish the mission he has for us, we'll need to act with both wisdom and innocence. Wisdom and innocence. Be wise, be harmless. And Jesus says applying that truth is how you are going to accomplish what I have for you to do. And if we can do that, we will accomplish the purpose God has for us in taking the news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus to a world that can be hostile, or as Jesus says, sheep among wolves. Jesus was both wise and harmless, and he applied truth perfectly, and we can always look to him for examples. He lived without sin. He was known as gentle, being gentle. He's known as being peaceable. He loved people. He loved kids. He did a lot of things to help people. He fed people. He healed people. He taught people good things. And at the same time, when it was appropriate, only when it was appropriate, he took a whip and ran the money changers out of the temple because they were robbing people. And Jesus knew what they were doing. He knew the truth about what God had said about animals for sacrifice and how God hates dishonest majors. But he didn't just react when he did that. You can go back and read about that in John chapter 2. He took the time to sit down and braid his whip and contemplate. Okay, he didn't just react. He just didn't dive into it. But once he had done that, then he ran the money changers out of the temple. And that was very out of character for him, this peaceable, humble guy. Very out of character thing to do, but can you imagine what an impact it had when he did do that? That's Jesus being wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Now let's reflect on that and make some application. Reflect on that and make some application. How often... Do we see something that we think is wrong? You know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Something makes us angry, something makes us upset. Whether it's at home, with our spouse, a family member, a friend, online. 
and we just react to it. Very visceral reaction, sometimes very strongly. We don't take any time to contemplate. We just get mad or we just reach it, lash out. Uh, maybe we become like an internet keyboard warrior or we just have to speak our mind and we ostracize someone or something because they are outside of our own comfortable narrative. Or we say things that are, are not helpful. We say things that are not good. We've probably all done something like that at some point. I know I have for sure. And But when you did that, when you think back on that and, and you can look at it from a place where the emotions are gone and it's in the past, and you look back, and think of the results that came from that. Was it good? Was it helpful? Did it bring about the desired result? Did you, you know, accomplish what you wanted to accomplish at the time? The chances are that the answer is probably no. But we see that a lot in the world today. We see a lot of people just shouting at each other, angry at each other not really worried or you know, concerned about what's actually true or concerned about the people or person they're speaking to, but just wanting to be right to protect their own comfortable narrative. Not so worried about truth, but just wanting to be right. But does that change anything? No, if anything, it just seems to make things worse. It's not original with me, but someone said, you know, if you want to make things better, stop doing what makes things worse. You know, it's easy to want to be right. It's so easy to want to react. It's easy to want to, you know, do what Jesus did and start flipping tables. But when we feel like that, we should probably stop and take some time and contemplate. Take a minute before we react. Take a minute before we do anything. Think about what's actually true and how we can best apply that truth. Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And, you know, if we're always flipping tables, we're always shouting, carrying on, what's, what's going to happen is people are going to stop listening. They, they aren't going to see us as someone who's credible if we keep doing that. And if you do it long enough and hard enough, not only will people not see you as credible, they'll, they'll start avoiding you. They'll start avoiding you. Sure, Jesus, you know, he had a moment where he flipped tables, but he contemplated it. And when you think about it, he only did it once. He rightly applied truth. A lot of people tried to discredit Jesus constantly. They tried to hurt him. They tried to discredit him. They tried to find fault with him. They constantly tried to discredit him in front of crowds of people. But no one ever did. No one ever could. And Judas... Even Judas, who betrayed Jesus, in the end he said, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood. Jesus was judged to be innocent three times before he went to the cross. When Jesus said to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, he was summarizing how to, how to apply truth in a way that will allow us to best serve him and live in obedience to him. And obedience is more than a goal. It's a process. It's something that we live, we work through, we learn to do, and, and hopefully we get better at, better at day by day. Because how we live matters. How we apply matters. Or how we apply truth matters. But we always need to remember that Jesus already knows what's going to happen. He's already determined the outcome of things. And we can rest in that. We can, we can have peace in that. The world is hostile. It's full of wolves. Sometimes they disguise themselves as sheep. But Jesus has overcome the world. And it's good to remember that. And he wants you to know. He wants the world to know that he loves you. 
and he died on the cross for you. Whatever you might be struggling with in your life, whether it's sin, maybe it's legalism, either side of it, conservative or liberal legalism, he wants you to turn from that and turn to him and follow him as your savior. And that's something we do every day. You know, there's that point in our lives where we recognize Jesus died for our sin and we accept him as our savior. And at that moment, we're saved. Our future is secure with him. But every day as we go through life, we need to think about applying truth, adjusting where we need to adjust, stepping outside of our own comfortable narrative, and repenting from the things that God doesn't want in our life. Why don't you stand with me for a moment? We're going to have a word of prayer as we close out this morning. Think about these things. Think about being wise and harmless. I'm going to pray that God will help us do that. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in prayer. We're grateful for your love, your mercy, your grace. We're especially grateful for your patience, Lord. As we go out into the world and we interact, I pray that you would convict us where we need convicted. Show us where we need to change, Father. Show us where we need to do better where we need to step away from our own comfortable narrative, whatever that may be, and be wise and harmless. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that he died for us, that he shed his blood, and that through him we could be saved. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for your love, your mercy, your grace. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.